0: Welcome to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, exploring leadership in nursing through inspiring conversations. Today's episode is sponsored by AACN Certification, offering professional nursing certifications in over a dozen specialties and subspecialties, with information available at aacn.org forward slash credentials. Now, here's your host, AACN's Chief Clinical Officer, Connie Barton.
1: This is Connie Barton, and I am so excited today to get a chance to talk with Dr. Nanette Logan. Nanette is Chief Nursing Officer at Regional Medical Center in San Jose, California. And Nanette, I don't know how you carved out time to be here, but thank you so much for joining me for this conversation today. Hi, Connie. Thank you so
2: much for having me. It's a
1: pleasure and an honor to be able to have this conversation with you. The title, what we're focusing on today is Leading by example through authenticity. And I I just can't think of anyone better. I know a tiny bit about your story and I can't wait to hear more. So let's get at it. And the first thing I want to talk about really is your story as a nurse. Now, I had the good fortune of listening to a conversation between you and your daughter, actually, that you all recorded. But you have quite an interesting story about becoming a nurse and all of that. Is there anything about that you want to share with us as we get going? So my course to nursing was not
2: traditional. Um, I was an adult and a single parent and I stumbled upon nursing. I was a unit clerk and was like, hmm, I think I can do this. Got into nursing school and found it to be quite challenging to balance motherhood, work, and um, education. It was very challenging, very rewarding, and a lot of obstacles. And when my daughter and I did that StoryCorps interview, um, afterwards we were having some, um, what Brene Brown would call, vulnerability hangover, (laughs) thinking that was a little too much. But the response was just unbelievable. People said, that's my story. You gave me hope that I can do it, too, because it's not easy. But if you commit, you commit, you can get this done. And nursing has made a change in my life.
1: Absolutely. Now, one of the things that you talked about, if I remember right, I think your daughter was about three when you were in undergraduate. And um, are there one or two struggles that come to mind or challenges that come to mind just trying to manage all of that, a toddler and nursing school, et cetera? So initially, I was just trying to balance it in the
2: way that I'd always done. And one of my instructors said to me, you know, I just don't think you're cut out for nursing. You're not really nursing material. And when she said that to me, I was heartbroken. And I was like, oh, I know I can do this. So I had to really change my focus. So what I did is I changed my work schedule, and I'm really grateful to my employer um, for allowing me to do that. So I started working um, Friday and Saturday, 16 hours, Sunday, 8 hours. Monday through Thursday, I had class. So what I did is I'd start at 6 a.m. I'd get up, start going over the syllabus for the day, getting myself ready, taking my daughter to to, um, daycare, went to school, went to the library after school. And I stayed there until it was time to pick her up at 6 p.m. Once I got home with her, I was on her time. She didn't follow the script, so I had to really make sure that once I was there with her, I was present for her. But as far as everything educational, I had to do that while she was in childcare, and then after she was in bed, going back and, you know solidifying those holes. But once I was told that I wasn't nursing material. I was determined that you will not do that to me. You can't tell me that.
1: I know me better than you. <laughs> That's an amazing story. Now, we're not recommending that as a leadership tactic, however. It sounds like in a way, inadvertently, that person kind of did you a favor because they tapped something deep in you that said, oh, heck no, nobody's going to tell me who I am or what I can and cannot do.
2: It made me change
1: how I managed my education.
2: I was trying to do it in a way that fit in with everything else. But you really can't have a child fit into the adult plan. I really had to give her her time. She demanded it. And I still had, you know, commitments and things that needed to happen. So rearranging my life so that everybody got what they needed, yet I could still reach the end result. Because not completing just didn't feel like the right thing for me or for my future. If I were still a unit clerk, would that be the best use of my, my skill and talent? And there were so many untapped opportunities that I just hadn't been exposed to yet and didn't know. And having the opportunity to, to be educated and to really step out into nursing. It's such its own world and learning it and the language of it and the opportunity of what you can do with your two hands to have an impact on someone else's life.
1: And certainly, you're a demonstration of not just your two hands, but a great mind and some grit, I would say, and willingness to dig in. And it's really fascinating what you say about a toddler is not going to adapt to the adult world. So, you stepped back and created a way to to have it all essentially to have a toddler be a great mom be present but also uh um, pursue the career that you want it's it's amazing now let me ask you that's that's just one uh transition that you've made from being a unit clerk to really um becoming a nurse and all the things that that took you also then were a bedside expert for a long time i think neuro icu was kind of your place and you were a traveler etc but then here you are now, a chief nursing officer at a, at a large medical center. So what was that transition like? That seems like that could almost be a scary journey as well.
2: It is quite a scary journey. And spending as much time as I did at the bedside, almost 20 years in frontline critical care, start as a novice new nurse and you grow. You feel like I've got it. Then you're like, I've got it. One thing I know for sure is that at the bedside, I was good at it, and I am a critical care nurse just through and through. So you go through that phase where you, you know what you're doing, you can predict it, weigh steps out, and then you start a new career, and you're like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I'm not as good at it as I am other things. But, you know, Brenner speaks about that with the going from the novice to the beginner, And every time you start a new role, you start back over as a novice. And you have to give yourself that grace that you're not going to start at the top. You really have to learn where you are. Why are you here? Because you were chosen for a reason. And after that, being able to utilize that skill set and your resources to be able to develop and grow as you become an expert in in your new field, But things always happen and change, new technology, and you find yourself back in that either novice beginner um, area again. So it's ever changing, but you continue to
1: grow. I think that's absolutely true. And that's what can make it so scary sometimes to take that leap to the next thing. And thinking about rising up, so to speak, in leadership. Now, I know nursing is largely a, a female predominated profession still but rising to the executive level like you are as a woman in the C-suite, et cetera, sometimes it can be hard to have our voice heard. So what sort of experiences have you had around that or sage wisdom would you have to people in that regard? Do you think the woman winding the way through the ranks sometimes have some special challenges?
2: When you're at the table with um, a group of executives, Sometimes the male voice is a more dominant voice, and even as a strong, educated, independent woman, you may find yourself taking a back seat sometimes without thinking about it, and you have to consciously ensure that your voice is heard. So you have to, first of all, be prepared. You have to know what you're talking about, (laughs) and... And then ensure that what you're talking about actually comes through clearly and concise. Gaining that credibility, being prepared, showing up prepared, half the battle.
1: And yet it takes courage at the same time. I want to just acknowledge that. And another thing related to that, rising up in positions, and I'm talking to you, you're an African-American woman who has done this with incredible success. But we know we deal with a lot of bias in this world. and I. Wonder if you can reflect on that. Do you think that has had uh, any impact on your journey or uh, any experiences that you want to share about that? Or again, wisdom that you want to share related to being a very successful African-American woman who's now a chief nurse?
2: I can say that in my career, um, going through the managerial ranks, I've been lucky. I'm I'm appreciative. Um, My company has been extremely good to me. And um, has recognized my talents and supported me. I, I look at it in, in ways that it's really not always what you know, but who knows you. So it's about making sure that you're networking and having sponsors. You can't just say, I want you to be my sponsor. You know, that takes work because people have to go out and have to speak on your behalf, that they know what you're doing and, and how you're doing it. And it's what happens in the room at those tables when they're discussing when you're not there. And so the work that you do on the front in public really has impact on what's happening when you're not in the room. Even though there, there's always going to be bias, it just is. It's the nature of our country and where we are. But we've come a long way. There are a lot more women in the workforce. There are a lot more women of um, all nationalities in leadership ranks. And as we hold those positions, then we're able to mentor each other and able to help lift each other up. And we don't have to all make the same mistakes. You know, there's a way to fast forward some of this now. And what we do as women, men do not have the same challenges. They have different challenges. So it's about it's a matter of making sure we have those coffee chats. And, and doing those things that get us in front of people, making sure they know who we are, know what we do and where we add value. You
1: know, something that you made me think of, and just us having this conversation right here, it's also important to talk about these things. What it's like to be a woman, what it's like to be a woman of color, wanting to advance to the C-suite or wherever. Yeah, having your support group, for lack of a better term, or your colleagues who support each other and just talk about these things. It seems like just not talking about it almost make like the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. So that's a helpful support for people who want to move and navigate. You, You use the word sponsors. I'm assuming that's something like a mentor, that same type relationship. A mentor, they kind of help develop and grow you, make sure you
2: have exposure so first you're gonna get the education, then you're gonna get the experience, then you get the exposure. So once you have that, the education and the experience, that's what a mentor does for you. And then that software gives you exposure. They make sure that you're in a position where people can see you and they know what you're doing. They know how you do it and give you an opportunity
1: to shine. That is a brilliant distinction. I've never heard that distinction. Which kind of makes me think of something that I believe you're a fan of, but I know in general, some people think that it's important to have a roadmap, you know, a roadmap that gives one an idea of, I guess, where they're headed and how they're going to get there. And I understand that's something you're kind of a big proponent of. You want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. For me,
2: I always knew that I was a leader, whether informally. Or formally, I, I had a way of just kind of owning a space and, and doing the right thing and having a voice. With that being one of my natural characteristics, it was easy for me to to find a place where I fit in that space. So when I became a nurse, my goal at the time was just to be a charge nurse. That's all I wanted. I want to be a charge <laughs> But then after I was a charge nurse, then the next thing you know, they're tapping you for other things. We have another opportunity and another opportunity. And as you show that you're able to do those things, you start looking out and saying, hmm, what else is out there? Because initially you're just looking at your nursing unit or at your hospital, but there's a big world outside of your unit and your hospital. And then I said, I think I want to be a CNO." And I was watching my CNO, who is at the time, Cindy Johnson, who tapped me and said, Nanette, it's time. And I was like, time for what? (laughs) And she said, you've been at the bedside long enough. You have a master's degree. You're working on a doctorate degree, and you're still at the bedside. But that knowledge was for me. I really didn't get it to move up. I wanted to really have that opportunity to educate myself and to ensure that I was providing the best care for my patients. And that's what was important to me. But all the other things that I was doing, working on committees, leading groups, I was an informal leader in many aspects. And then she introduced me to a management role. And Cindy was the first African-American CNO that I had ever had. So it gave me an opportunity to see, oh, it's possible, which is something that, for me, I had never encountered. Seeing someone doing a role that looks like you, you know, representation counts.
1: Absolutely, and the power of role models. Tell me if, if I'm thinking about this right, because I have to tell you, I had in my head when I was considering this topic of roadmaps, that it meant somebody had to, you know, you become a nurse, and then you've got sort of like this Predetermined road that you're going to go on. And I used to always hate that when somebody was trying to develop me and they'd say, well, where do you want to be in 10 years? I'm like, Oh my, I can't tell you where I want to be in 10 minutes. You know, I would just hate those. I would have to make something up. I think I hear you say, it's not like you got to have a 10 year plan, but more being open to opportunities as you learn and grow, being open to opportunities on this road. Is that kind of what you're suggesting? Absolutely. I had
2: no idea I was going to be a CNO. But as I progressed, I kept seeing more opportunities. And with that, it's like, huh, I can do that, too. And also, when you take your natural abilities and what you have a passion for, and you put those together in your work, it makes the work a lot easier. Because work is always going to be work. There are challenging days. There's days that you're like, I got this. And your day's like, whoa. <laughs> but when it's all said and done, when you're doing something that you actually care about and that you have a passion for, it makes it every day a lot better. And that roadmap, it changes. I mean, you, you sometimes you come to a fork in the road and which way do I go? And what what am I going to do? Both paths are equally amazing i could really do well either way but which one fits my spirit and which one is going to help me grow and be able to allow me to give the most i can possibly give to the profession to the patient experience
1: and outcomes because that matters it's so inspiring just just listening to you talk about this and thinking about your journey from really good rock solid staff nurse i love it when you said i was good at what i did <laughs> i love that and i know you you did some traveling things and all of that so i want to transition a little bit and and think about some of the things that are such a challenge in healthcare and the environment and everything and i want to talk about that relationship between frontline staff and leaders and how do we get on the same page and respect each other Some say there's a struggle about that right now. And you and I are talking at a time where we finished the fourth wave of COVID. So places have just been, you know, tormented by that for a year and a half. And you've been on both sides. You've been a staff nurse, you've been a leader at the bedside, and now you're a leader of a whole hospital. What words of wisdom do you have about looking at things from both vantage points and optimizing that relationship between frontline nurses and leaders?
2: It can be a challenge post-COVID. There was a lot of things that happened during COVID that some of the lines were blurred and a little trust was lost between leaders and frontline staff. And so it's really about right-sizing the ship. From a a frontline perspective, the staff wants to know that their leaders have their best interests at heart and they're gonna take care of them and that they're going to do everything possible to make their work life better so that they can do what they do is take care of the patients. From a leadership perspective, yes, we have to make sure that we take care of the frontline staff so that they can do that work, but we also have a responsibility to ensure that we take care of the entire organization, keeping the lights on. People forget that we pay the electric bill. (laughs) So making sure that everything is balanced in order to provide a comfortable environment to take care of patients, developing that trust that we're in it together. When you're hurting, I'm hurting. And when you're succeeding, I'm succeeding as well from a leadership perspective, because we can't do it without each other. It's impossible. And regardless of what happens, the end result is that patient and the patient's outcome. So, When decisions are being made, when when we're doing things together, when we come together to say, hey, this is working, this is not working, and what do we do to get to the next level so that that we can ensure that we provide high-quality, safe patient care every single time? What are the barriers to that, and how do we get past them? And sometimes they're very simple things, but you have to have trust, number one, to step up and say, hey, this is a problem. And number two, come to the table with some solutions, because the people on the front line, they're living it. They can tell you where the holes are. And so help your leader by telling them where the holes are. And that way, we don't spend five, six meetings trying to get to that point. We can really kind of expedite and get to the final
1: resolution. So it sounds like a lot of communication. It sounds like you must be a very present and transparent leader to have established those relationships and also both sides for lack of a better term both groups being willing to listen to one another because everybody sees things from a little bit of different vantage point
2: it's communication 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 i mean all day every day but it's also about trust that takes time you have to just spend time i round and i round and i round And, you know, rounding is a key component. Number one, that the staff get to know me. I'm not the CNO, but, hey, that's Nanette. She's here. And really developing a relationship with me so that when it hits the fan, we know each other. And when tough decisions need to be made, they know that I'm going to make the right decision for the right reasons. And even when they don't like the decision, that they feel comfortable saying, hey, what happened there? Was there something that we didn't know or, or anything like that so that we have understanding? I work diligently at being transparent because the more you know, you feel safe in that environment, ensuring that you get feedback. I use my unit-based councils. That's my team. They kind of give me the pulse of the organization so that I know what we need to do because I shouldn't work on something that's not important to the team. Really communication.
1: Yeah. You know, one of my favorite phrases is basically in the absence of information, people are just going to make stuff up. And they do. (laughs) Yes, they do. Yes, indeed they do. Let me ask you while we're talking about gnarly issues, one of the biggest things challenging us right now, of course, is staffing. How do you tackle this as a CNO Um, and connect with your teams, we have got a whole thing going on with a lot of travelers and all of that stuff there. How are you all tackling staffing and what are your thoughts around that right now?
2: So post-pandemic staffing has been a challenge and as a profession of nursing we knew that we would have a staffing shortage for nursing. We've talked about it for years but it just kind of hit fast forward and here we are. So some of the things that we're working on is what do we need to do? And asking the nurses, what do you need here? What are the goals? So looking at alternative models, looking at bringing in the LVN um, model and team nursing back, that's something that it can be a challenge because it's a different way of thinking in the acute care setting, but it worked for many, many years. So how do we bring that back efficiently with where we are today? increasing the number of support staff at the bedside because a lot of the duties that nurses are doing do not necessarily require a nurse so assessing those those items what are you doing all day and what could someone else do for you so that rns are really doing rn work and listening because some of the things that we're doing we we looked at our charting do we have just absolutely too much charting where is the value added is anyone looking at this information and what do we need to chart, and what shouldn't we chart? Some of our nurses write many novels. <laughs> and, and it's not necessary in today's environment, especially with our current charting systems, but they just can't get out of the habit. So that's the way we can save some time. What do we need to do to save you time to get you back in front of that patient and being able to spend time with the patient and educating them, because they're out really rapidly making sure they know how to take care of themselves once they leave the building. So working on the alternative staffing model, really looking at having enough other resources at the bedside from ancillary support, and just being able to provide as much as we can with the limited resources. And we're using travelers, but travelers are hard to come by at this current state. So they're not as readily available as as they have been historically for our our, um, industry.
1: Yeah, it's a challenge all the way around. And another related challenge, of course, is uh, new graduates getting them in and trying to keep them. We know the stats about a, a large number get in, they stay a year or two, and then they go either to maybe do some other types of roles or some leave the profession altogether any thoughts about uh, ways to really get new graduates and have them feel a part of things so that maybe they don't consider leaving quite so quickly?
2: I see the new grad as our future. There are a lot of them and more want to be part of the nursing profession. Our schools of nursing really can't support bringing more of them in. So that's really where where we have to invest moving forward, um, ensuring that our new grads support it, And what that means from me, what I do with my team is I'm part of the interview process. I am part of the new orientation. And with their monthly meetings, while they're in the nurse residency program, they see me every month. I also have a um, link on our intranet called the CNO Corner. If something happens and you just need to let me know, I don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning, you click that button and you send me an email and I'll respond within 24 hours. Really working hard to keep that line of communication open and also providing them support, making sure they have enough education to where they feel safe getting out there. Because we had a group of nurses that didn't have the full experience of clinical environment during covid So all they knew were COVID. So now how do we get back to the bread and butter of nursing, okay? Because you need to be able to, you know, spot an MI, you know, and how to take care of one. Making sure that we invest in them, because with our current millennial nurses, they have a low tolerance for failure. And if they fail or they feel that they're not going to be successful in this role, They will leave nursing as a profession, not just leave that job. We can't afford to lose nurses to the profession. We have to make sure that we support them and lift them up and help them over those humps. And that means providing education, support, mentorship, buddying them up to make sure that they have someone they can ask questions to and that they they can rely on to help them when they go from the novice to the beginner, because that's really that critical point. After that, they tend to be able to say, oh, I've seen this before. Oh, I know what to do with that. And really kind of
1: helping them over the hump. So Nanette, let me ask you a question. You mentioned the CNO corner that you established on your intranet. I think that's really creative. Can you think of a time that someone put something in there that actually resulted in a change or some action?
2: One of the nurses sent me a message on the CNO corner about the need for extra hands on the unit. But can we have more CNAs? And where can we get them from? We don't have them in-house. How can we get them? And what can I do to help support them, to train them, to build them up? But we need help. She mentioned that there were registry CNAs. So we looked into that, and we started bringing on Registry CNAs, which were like travelers, we gave them a 13-week contract to come in and work with us and to help us out, to put more hands on deck, and that really improved things from a nursing perspective. They ambulated the patients. You make sure they were mobilized and just did all those things to take that burden off of the nurse when they did not have appropriate or optimal staffing at that time. It really was just a weight lifted to be able to delegate some of those duties. So, the CNO Corner has really been beneficial in providing opportunities to have resolution for issues that we may not know are really a sticking point for the nurse.
1: What a great example. And your commitment to responding within 24 hours to anything that comes through, I think, probably also um, encourages people to use that. And then you see a few success stories like that one, and um, it sounds like a really great tool.
2: It is, and it's one of the best tools that I have right now because it's succinct. Nurses can just send me that message, and they can even send it anonymous, which is really nice. So there is a place for your name, department, your department is required, but you can just, you don't have to tell me who you are, but just tell me what the need is in that area so that we can make sure that we address it. When I get anonymous uh, messages, then I make sure I address that message at the huddles so that whoever sent that message will know that I got it and be able to to hear what the solution or some suggestions might be and also ask during the huddle time, what would you like for me to address with this? Is there anything else we're missing? And that uh, allows the staff to open up. And during that huddle, we can kind kind of hash it out quickly or even set up another meeting in order to go
1: into a little more deep diving and how to get that done. I could talk to you all afternoon and we don't have that luxury, but I just, I feel like I'm sitting at the knee of someone who just knows how to do difficult things and be such a success. If I had to summarize some of what I've learned from you, Nanette, I would say something like this. First of all, give yourself grace. It's going to take grit to get what you want to get. So give yourself grace along the way. Understand why it is you're here, why you're doing what you're doing. I hear the value of education, then experience, then exposure. So we go from having mentors to having sponsors who can help us, you know, have our own presence in an organization. I hear the importance of ensuring that our voices are heard. And one way, key way to be ensure your voice is heard is be prepared when you go there. Don't just talk off the top of your head. I heard a lot about relationships, networking, relationships, um, and the importance of what is known about you when you're not in the room, sometimes as important as when you are. You talked about lifting each other up and having uh, those with similar experiences to your own who can depend on each other, being open to opportunities. And I think the number one thing that just captures you for me is do what lifts your spirit. I heard you say that. And you just personify Exactly that, because when I I listen to you talk, I hear your spirit coming through. So, Dr. Nanette Logan, what did I miss? Tell me anything else that uh, would be in our wrap-up here. I think that you really summed it up well. Overall, it's just making sure that we do what
2: we know we're here to do. We became nurses to provide care, to make a difference in people's lives, to really make a difference in people's lives, to also support each other, because nurses have always supported each other. You know, we are the potluck queens. <laughs> and so having that, that opportunity to really be together, to continue on, because this still shall pass, and we will be on to bigger and better things, regardless of what happens, we will always take care
1: of patients. Annette, I can't thank you enough for carving out time. I don't know how you did it, as busy as you are, but thank you so much for chatting with us today. And I look forward to the next time we have a moment to have another conversation. Thank you so
2: much, Connie. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the American Association of Critical Care Nurses Leadership Podcast, proudly sponsored by AACN Certification, with information available at aacn.org. Slash credentials. We welcome your thoughts on this episode or ideas for future topics. Feel free to email us anytime at podcasts at aacn.org.